Hi, my name is Warner Lewis. Thank you for joining me for Creating Home, a weekly podcast exploring what different successful individuals have done to allow them to find their physical, emotional, and spiritual home. We'll discuss their individual journeys, including disadvantages, roadblocks, adversity, and dead ends, as well as their strategies, successes, and support, which allowed them to overcome obstacles and thrive. Thank you for joining me today on Creating Home. Today, uh, we're going to do things a little bit different. I have a longtime friend who, due to his position, um, needs to be veiled a bit in secrecy. And I'm really excited to have him because he truly is not one in a million, but one in a billion. And that might even be shortchanging him. Um, if any of you have seen Goodwill Hunting, it might have been made about him, something somewhere between Goodwill Hunting and A Beautiful Mind. He truly is the smartest person I've ever met. He grew up in Boston, uh, and I think at a very early age was tapped as being incredibly smart, brought to a very elite private school where he blew away his peers, on to MIT where he blew away his peers again and got into, um, I think, uh, a little bit of extracurricular trouble because I think it, it might have actually been too easy for him. And is now at a position um, that is such that we're going to keep his anonymity um, throughout this. But he, to me, is a, is a guiding light of someone who, even though he has superpowers, is also mortal and has a level of humility that is shocking coming from someone who, who can turn on the persona of the most voracious pit bull of anyone you've ever met uh, with an Einstein-type brain. So. Uh, I'll, I'll call you Mr. X. I'm really happy to have you today. And I'm really excited to sort of dive into what you've gone through to get where you are today, what you've learned about yourself, and, um, you know, potentially things that that are common to the human condition that you've come through that you think might be able to help others out there. So uh, thanks for being on today. And um, I really look forward to Sort of digging into your journey. Thanks, Warner. I appreciate the the introduction. Um, one couple things. One, um, MIT came a little bit later. Uh, I did do I did go to Harvard after high school, so my undergrad was at okay. Um, and then I went to grad school at MIT. Um, and uh, I had a, I had a, I got into some extracurricular stuff at Harvard uh, because I was. Uh, a structurally deficient human at that point, uh, uh, by no means was the institution all that easy uh, to navigate, especially for me. Um, but looking forward to dig in here and, and talk through some of the stuff that, uh, you, know, you talk about the journey, the tools, uh, the insights, um, the failings, the fall downs, uh, the skin knees and the, uh, the chip teeth. Yeah, no, th that's really the crux of this. I mean, for me, um, I, I really thought I was uh, about 90% there before the shutdown in all of March took place, uh, when in a week I found out I was failing as a husband, failing as a business partner, and lost a significant amount of money. And it was a Mike Tyson-like blow to to make me realize that I really had a lot of work to do because I believed a lot of things outside of me um, 
uh, were more important than things inside of me. And, um, you know, that's what really predicated this and me wanting to get outside of my comfort zone and being willing to be outside of my comfort zone from someone who comes from a background of wanting to stay small or sabotage things that make me feel uncomfortable. And with you, your whole life is about pushing your boundaries, about being uncomfortable. And um, I'd love to sort of go back because for everyone, there's a beginning. And I, I'd love to learn a little bit more about the younger you, um, you know, and, and, and the change coming from uh, sort of a, maybe a more rough and tumble background to an elite prep school background. And, and then if there's anything that you carried, uh, chip on your shoulder baggage from that and just, you know, get into the Harvard years unstructured and, and what path that led you down to. And, and ultimately, sort of time and again, falling down, learning and getting back up and being even stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's it, I grew up outside of Boston and um, I was the oldest of three boys. And, you know, from a young age, um, did really, really well in school. Uh, but at the same time was um, a volatile kid. Um, I liked things the way I liked them. Um, you know, at times I was a bully. Uh, I was really precocious. Uh, you know, didn't get in a lot of trouble per se, but sort of flitted around the edges. Um, I ended up getting out of the public school system in the town I grew up in uh, when my fifth grade teacher introduced me to uh, the school I ended up going to. And I applied to that one school. It was an all boys school um, and scored, you know, 96 or 97 percentile and did really well on the entrance exam and ended up going there in 1989. Um, and when I went there, uh, it was uh, it was it was expensive at the time. And, 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 you know, my parents were, you know, sort of my dad was a social worker. My mother was uh, at that time stayed home with the kids. And, you know, what was interesting was we didn't have a, we didn't have any money to, 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 do, to do the school thing, but we also didn't have any money really to do anything else. But because where we grew up, I didn't know that. Right. So, like, you know, everybody else looked like us, you know, and, and you know, and, and we drove for vacation. We didn't fly anywhere. And we had one air conditioner in the house and we all slept in the same room when it got really hot. And we had black and white TVs and one color TV and we never owned a new car. Right. Like, but like that was normal where I grew up. And first day I go to school, I pull up and I'm getting dropped off in a Chevy, uh, a, a Chevy with T-tops and one of them are cracked and the radio has been stolen. And I pull up, my dad pulls up next to a Mercedes and I get out of the car and, uh, and I head into the homeroom and I'm like, okay, I'm not in Kansas anymore. You know, and, and, <laughs> and it was the first time probably in my life where I was just like, okay, I'm different than these guys. And, can't quite put a finger on it, but we're not the same people, right? And we're not from the same place. And it was my first bout with uh, feeling less than uh, or not part of, um, which is which is a big part of my story, um, you know. And, and and you know, and I and I leaned in there and, and, and did really well at school, and um, you know, sort of won awards and did well in class. And and you know, one of the hard things about being in a private school. Um, is I used to go to the private school and, you know, do really well and work really hard. And, 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 and then I'd go home to my, my buddies in my, uh, my, my hometown and I'd start getting in trouble when I was like 15 years old, but I had two accents like in the departed. So like, 
Um, <laughs> you know, it, you know, there, there was a, there's a scene where, where Mark Wahlberg and, and Leo DiCaprio are going back and forth with each other. And Wahlberg leans in and goes, you had two accents, didn't you? You had one accent when you were on the North Shore with your, you know, with your father. And then when you came and visited your mother in the old colony projects, you had a different, you had a different accent. And it wasn't, it wasn't, that's not a crazy thing, right? Like I would tighten up um, my accent when I went to school and then on the weekends I would let it go. And that's sort of, you know, it created duality in my life that sort of was, 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 was predicated upon this idea of not being good enough for either place, right? Like just being me wasn't enough. I had to sort of fit, you know? And, you know, by the time I'm 15 years old, I pick up my first drink. Um, I start smoking, smoking dope, doing mushrooms, psychedelics, um, work hard, play hard. So doing it during the week at school and then on the weekends, you know, getting after it a little bit. And like, that's sort of what I started doing. And, and, and I started chasing it. Um, I played varsity sports where I went to school, um, did really well in my SATs and applied to a bunch of Ivy League schools um, and, uh, you know, sort of had a really difficult time getting into college. Um, you know, even though I was, uh, you know, scored really well on entrance exams and and everything else, it was the first time in my life where like, I sort of hit this wall of like, am I good enough? Right. And it filled me at the time with a lot of anger because I ended up, I ended up, uh, getting, um, getting basically getting deferred from Harvard at the time, waitlisted. And, uh, I, I was going to be good, like uh, up until getting um, off the wait list, which was after the day I graduated. Um, I, I, I was going to Holy Cross, which was at the time sort of my safety school. And I was a very angry second semester senior. And, uh, what happened was I spoke at, um, prize day at my high school and they taped it and sent it to Harvard. And that's how I got off the wait list. And, um, I, I talked about failure. And I talked about sort of, um, I, I, I read from Henry the fourth, and Henry the fifth, uh, the battle of that, the battle of Agincourt, I believe it was. And, um, and they taped it and sent it to Harvard admissions. And that's how I got into Harvard. So I got a phone call the day after graduation I said, Hey, we don't have any room in this year's, this year's class. Do you want to want to come next year? And I said, uh, yeah. And I called Holy Cross and told them I was going to make it. And then I started paying rent to my parents and, and, and working and, and, and messing around my year off um, and getting in a shitload of trouble. Um, that's where sort of my, my, my year off was the time where I sort of got my grad degree in, in, in causing mayhem, um, you know, drinking, drugs, uh, gambling. Uh, that all escalated in a meaningful way. So by the time I actually went to college, my parents were ready to strangle me. Um, I had, I had, I had been kicked out of my house a couple of times that year for just being a, 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 an idiot. And I went to Harvard with like $200 in my pocket, a laundry basket full of clothes. And, um, I ended up, uh, I ended up, uh, you know, sort of working four or five jobs my freshman year, uh, to make money while I went out every night. And I was just a, just an animal living in Cambridge and Harvard Square. Uh, occasionally going to class, um, and just, just literally, um, causing all sorts of trouble. I had a chip on my shoulder when I went in and, uh, it only got deeper the longer I was there because if I didn't feel like I fit my high school, I definitely didn't fit hard. So, you know, we, we've talked about that, that, um, that the feeling, uh, like the other. And so obviously at Harvard, things, 
hit ahead. You felt like an outsider. You then reacted like most teens would, which is not taking a deep breath and, and saying, what can I do to change or just accepting the fact that, hey, people are different. Just you kind of exploded and uh, you don't need to get into total detail. But, you know, what what was for you sort of the the bottoming out from which the you know you started rising from the ashes and started for the, maybe the first time really found an inner reservoir of strength that you so clearly have uh and maybe before this was the first time you had to find it but i'm really interested in hearing about that no i mean you know i i i, I hit my first so i plowed through harvard um i went out every night at harvard i went to seven lectures in four years. I was, I was really good at getting a section and I was an English major. So I read and wrote papers and I ended up graduating with a, you know, really respectable GPA, um, somewhere in the mid threes and like, um, cum laude. And, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I had left just like, uh, you know, I, I left Harvard without, you know, any friends. I, I'm not in touch with anybody I went to college with, maybe a couple people. Um, and I'll tell you, looking back on it, um, it was all me. It was all me. And uh, I created the story and I was the star. And that story had me not good enough. And that story had me on the outside looking in. And one of the things I've learned over the years, and I'll get to the bottom, is that this is all just one big story that you're telling yourself. And, um, you know, there's it's it's all just a context. And, you know, sort of, um, it's taken multiple bottoms, um, to get to a place where I, I, I sort of understand, um, you know, what that all means and I'll get to it. But, you know, at the end of the day, where I really bottomed is probably around September 11th, 2001. I, at that point, I was working in finance. I was sleeping under my desk three or four days a week. I used to keep clothes there. Um, I was working a ton and then going out and then going back to the office to sleep. And I was working in Boston and it's really hard, um, to find trouble at four o'clock on a, on a Tuesday night, Tuesday morning in, um, in Boston, but I was really good at it. Um, and so I, one of the, one of the nicknames I had in college was El Diablo. Um, people called me the devil and, um, and, 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 and the moniker, you know, the, 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 the moniker fit because I, I was just, re I was really good at, at finding my way. Um, and when I was in the right space, I could talk to anybody. I ended up getting in a lot of fights and in a lot of trouble. Um, and I was around a lot of, a, a lot of tough, uh, tough actors. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I just didn't want to go home. I didn't want to be by myself. I didn't want to be with myself. And I had, I had like a very difficult time getting my head around my core. You know, and around September 11th, like I sort of, it was, a, it was, a, it was, a, it was a forcing function to sort of just look at my life. I knew a couple of people in the past actually, and been working about a year at that point and a year and a half. And I was like, I looked at my life and I was like, this is not sustainable. I'm going to die. You know what I mean? I'm going to get stabbed or I'm going to, I'm going to sort of not wake up or, you know, so like, like I'm going to have a really hard time at this point. I've never been to a therapist. Um, I've never been to a meeting. Um, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, I didn't want to stop drinking because I didn't want to be an alcoholic and I didn't want to go to AA because that was a bunch of losers. And, uh, you know, on September 11th, I started re reading self-help books. I started reading about fear. I was so racked with fear and, and shame and guilt all the time. 
it was this fear, shame, guilt loop that I was in. It was just like just crippling. And I, I you know, I, and I'd stopped drinking for a couple of weeks and then I'd start drinking again and I'd stop drinking. And I went into this sort of like this loop for, I'd say through 2002 into 2003, where like I started trying to figure it out by like deleting people's numbers from my phone and not going to bars I used to go to. And, but I didn't go to meetings and I didn't stop entirely, but my life got better. Right. I started working out more. I ran a marathon. I did all that sort of fun stuff, you know? And, and it literally was this binary. I'm like, I just didn't want to die. Like it, it wasn't, it wasn't like, I want this fulfilled life. I'm not getting to my goals. It, was, it wasn't anything like that. Right. Like I used to move from place to place with a hockey bag full of my hockey gear and all of the bills that if I didn't open them, I didn't know the money. Right. I had a FICO score and like the low 500s. Like, uh, if you looked at my balance sheet, like that guy's got a huge freaking problem. You look at my resume, you can eat off of it. So it was this really weird dichotomy. And I, I sort of had this like, you know, this crazy pride. I used to play, I, 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 used, I used to, I used to go to these, these, these late night parties in, you know, tough parts of Boston, Charlestown, Southie, et cetera. Be like three, four o'clock in the morning, I'd be sitting around having a late night with a bunch of dudes. Um, drug dealers, you know, sort of guys who had done time in jail, like just real tough dudes, real salt of the earth guys, but like, like hard nosed dudes. And like, my favorite thing to hear in my life was, I can't believe you went to Harvard because I thought that was real. And that was just another story I was telling myself. This is, I was just feeding myself this line of bullshit. And I was a really immature and, and, and confused kid. And, uh, and, 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 you know, and, and then I ended up, you know, I, I met a girl and I dated her for a while and that, that didn't end up, that didn't end up in, um, you know, sort of going anywhere really. But like during that time, I, I started figuring some stuff out and then I ended up going to MIT. When I went to MIT, I spent the first six months without drinking and it was the best six months that I put together since I was fucking 15 years old. And I got super involved in campus and I loved it. I loved it. I had so much fun. I got to meet a ton of people. I got a passport for the first time at 26 years old. And I went to Tokyo the first time out of, uh, out of the, out of the country. And my second flight was to London. So here I am. I'm seeing the world. I'm doing all these things. Last day of classes, I get off at a bump of cocaine and I take it and I go on my last run, you know, and, uh, and, you know, sort of hit a wall, um, in, in June of, 2004, where I realized, like, I'm done. You know, like, um, anything that any gains that had been made in my personal psyche and how I felt about myself emotionally and spiritually had been completely destroyed in that six month run. Because what used to be grams turned into eight balls, what used to be six packs turned into 30 packs. And I was waking up behind my, uh, you know, behind the hood of my, you know, behind my, behind the wheel of my car at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, not knowing how I got there. And like, you know, pursuant to that, I started to go into a shrink in the, the first semester and I started figuring out some stuff. So, the, you know, the, 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 the confluence of starting to seek a traditional sort of DSM background self-care therapy regimen coupled with, um, you know, sort of dry, uh, you know, sort of behaviors, um, you know, was sort of my first foray into trying to figure out what it was that made me tick and tick poorly. And come June of 04, um, you know, I figured out that like I, I couldn't drink in safety. Um, I was no longer in, in, in that world. And um, I ended up going to my first AA meeting in Boston um, on a Tuesday night, uh, June 23rd, 2004, um, of over 16 years today. And 
I went to a meeting and I never picked up again. And um, that plus therapy are two of the safe spaces that have been um, at different points in my life, uh, huge tailwinds and trying to figure out what makes me tick and what makes people tick, um, you know, at a pretty both, you know, at a pretty high and in a pretty low level. With you, you live at a very high level. Um, And, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to know a little bit about that, that you have a competitive fire that, I have never met before and I probably will never see again. I mean, I, I, I remember you vividly, you telling me a story about how you, you like being the first one in the office. And so you'd be in at 5 a.m. And then all of a sudden someone tried, was there before you? And you're like, okay, I'll be in at 4.30. And it's just like your mentality was like, I'm going to one-up you. I'm going to beat you at whatever you do. Um, obviously, there's very good parts to that. But I think with the yin and the yang, with the good of that, there's also bad. Um, and, and, you know, I'd, I'd love to, to sort of hear about how you've channeled that in the right way, in a positive way and, 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 and how you try, how you keep that on the rails. Um, because it's obviously it's, you are very powerful. You're, you, uh, you have a very powerful force running through you at all times. And like, how do you sort of keep that contained? You know, it's, it's, it's actually, it's, it's really difficult, um, to be honest, you know, um, I've always always been more mo- motivated by my fear of failure um, and my fear of not belonging than by my desire to succeed. And that's it's an important context to sort of keep in mind. Like I didn't work the way I did because I liked to win, right? Um, I worked the way I did because winning was the only thing, and it wasn't winning at all costs per se. Though that's sort of how it sounds. It was like if I don't win, then I don't fit. Right. And what's been difficult to, what's, what's, what the, 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 the positive consequence of that is that I, I attacked my career with a level of intensity and intentionality and deliberation that, you know, sort of basically allowed me the 10,000 hours you need to become an expert. If you believe Malcolm Gladwell, if you believe outliers, and I put a lot of, I put a lot into sort of, the component, like my one of my competitive advantages in my career has been I've put in the time at a fundamental level, right? And so that's been a huge benefit. What I what, what the, the the negative of that is that relationships with family, relationships with friends, uh relationship with like your self-care, um, that stuff can atrophy if you don't take care of it. And uh the lack of balance in all things becomes something that needs to be managed in the short term balances imbalances can be okay. So long as that everybody around you recognizes the imbalance for what it is, names it the same way um, and knows and, and, and is bought into it. However, what happens in relationships and in system dynamics is that imbalances create distortions distortions create resentments you collect enough resentments you lose the person with the resentments right whether that's a parent a spouse a friend a cousin a child right and so you know give you a good example an imbalance guy works 100 hours a week for 10 years the distortion 
guy works 100 hours a week for 10 years because he doesn't want to come home. The resentment, uh, I can't stand him for the way he works. Now, uh, the same person who's doing the working says, I need to work 100 hours a week because I don't feel comfortable in my own skin and I don't feel comfortable in my role in the world. And if I work 100 hours a week, they can't fire me because you can't get fired when you work that hard. And, um, and, and, and if I, if I work that hard, like I'm going to learn a lot more than everybody else, which is going to make me better than everybody else. And I'm just leaving it on the field. And I want to do that for my family because that's what you're supposed to do. And I want to do that for myself because I want to prove that I belong because I don't feel like I fit in this world. Um, and that's, that's the context there. And then, so you have the same imbalance. You have different, you have different, um, distortions and contexts. And they get to very different places. And then the resentment on that person is like, see how hard I'm working for everybody? Like, why is this a problem? Um, what I've learned through a lot of work, right, is um, balance is everything. Intentionality is everything. And uh, if, I, if, I did it, if I didn't do something right, so AA, going to AA and getting sober was the first thing that worked for me. And it worked because... When I wasn't drinking, I had money in my pocket and I didn't get hung over and I didn't make dumb mistakes and I didn't get in fights and my life got better. And, but then I replaced it with, uh, I replaced sort of that the hole in my soul and the hole in my, you know, sort of personality with work. Um, and I didn't, I didn't get as well as I should have and could have at the time. Um, and it wasn't until call it 2016, 2017. Where I started working with a coach too. So I had, a, I had AA in my life and I'd done the steps a few times. I had a shrink in my life and was doing the classic DSM, family of origin work, et cetera, et cetera. And then I got a coach who approached it more from an Eastern, um, you know, sort of doing meditation and, um, thinking about intentionality and, and goal setting and, um, you know, context and telling yourself the right story and thinking about life as a software instead of a hardware. And what I found is that Holy Trinity, DSM, uh, 12-step program, and coaching program, for me, um, gave me a set of tools that allowed me to approach every problem three different ways. And a set of perspectives that gave me, you know, sort of a just add water on any situation that allowed me to really sort of pull apart what was actually going on. And it slowed the game down. What I learned was I didn't know how to slow the game down. It was too binary. Like I, there was, there was either work 90 hours a week or there was not, or it wasn't work. Like I wasn't, I wasn't able to find that middle ground and I wasn't able to find that middle ground because I wasn't comfortable in the middle. It just resonates so much with me, that complete inability to sit still because of the pain that you're trying to run away from. And uh, for me early on, I remember telling a shrink, uh, that I've been seeing for years, I was I wanted to move to Sweden, and he's like, "That's great, but you're just going to be Warner Butt in Sweden." But it just, that just resonated with me to such a degree that 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 inability to sit still because the pain that I was running from and was so great that I had to just keep running. And and what I've found is facing it is the is the only way through. You know, I I wouldn't say I was running from pain per se. I was just so uncomfortable with my own skin and, and, and I just didn't feel like I ever really fit. And what it turns out, it's funny, you know, I, I, I wrote letters to parents as part of this process. And I'm sure you've, if you've 
done enough shrinking, you can you've done it too. But it's like family of origin. You write these letters to your parents. And I wrote these letters and I actually wrote them for my coach and I shared them with my shrink. So I was getting double time on it. And my shrink read them and he just was like, Oh, you, you got a validation problem. And I learned that like during COVID. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you didn't get validated as a kid. And so your self-validation mechanism, your muscle isn't as developed as it should be for a guy like you. And so you seek validation from third party. Do you ask for a lot of feedback at work? And I'm like, I ask for a ton of feedback at work. It's like what I'm known for. And um, yeah, he's like, he's like, you seek feedback from outside sources um, and you need to work on your self-validation because that'll help you from getting whipsawed. And like, these are like major, these are made like, like I'm 43 years old, right? Like I, I've, I've lived my life and um, I've lived a lot of life in 43 years. And, um, and, and, and it was, it was, it was like a light bulb going off, you know, and, 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 you know, sort of um, what's, what's amazing too is like the amount of work that needs to be done um, to, you know, to be in the right space um, for, for many people. Um, is is quite a bit of time and energy, you know. I, I I spend on a weekly basis from a self care perspective, just to give you some idea. I meditate every day. Um, I work out five days a week. It's part of my self care regimen, about seventy five minutes a day. I do two calls instead of one long call with my shrink. I do two calls because I like the high frequency. I have my coach, and I try and I talk to a child specialist about my relationship with my children. Um, so I you know I, I tend to spend anywhere between, you know, sort of two hours a day on self-care and what i've learned is it is the thing that is that's the business of me and the thing i've learned since 2016 that has been so remarkable for me is that like life is software it's not hardware and i used to think it was hardware i used to think i used to think it was hardwired and i used to think it was very binary everything was everything was you know on or off i liked you i didn't like you you were in and you were out i was working or i wasn't Everything was just my way, the highway, and it was so full of self-centered fear. And now um, I'm a completely different person in terms of flexibility and, you know, even calmness. I'm not sure if you noticed when we were eating. Like, I'm, 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 I, like I don't have the same like frantic energy I used to have. Um, you know, it's 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 it, you know, it, there's a level of peace that has entered my life, even as like my life is still very chaotic at times. Um, you know, it kind of, it shows up in the relationship I have. I'm in a relationship with a woman who's, you know, a meaningful human and uh, is special and kind. Um, and, and tr- you know, I, f- I found the love I think I deserve. And in prior relationships, um, I found the love I thought I deserved and it was really not really what I needed. So how, you know, it, it's funny for me, and you, and you said that you're, the letters during COVID opened up a lot of doors for you. For me, with COVID, it was the first week, and and the realizations that I've come to, that again, I, you said that, that, that there's a story, and you're the star of the story, and everything was about you, and uh, at all times, and I've always believed that. And and what I've found in the last few months, more than anything, is sort of the dual nature of to t- to take the best care of myself. Uh, I need to do things for others because if it's all about me, I'm completely fucked. But at the same time, I can't look to others to take care of me. And that validation uh, part you talked about, I remember in boarding school when I was at the most depressed I can ever remember being in my life, going after sporting events the next day to wait for the newspaper to arrive, the local Delaware newspaper, 
to see if my name was in it for an accomplishment on the sports field. Because that would be how I'd feel good about myself. And, um, you know, it really became very clear to me that, especially in my important relationships, whether it be with my wife, my son, my daughter, my business partner, you name it. um, If I'm looking for them to make me feel better, I'm going to really fuck up the relationship. If I am able to do for myself what I've been looking my whole life for others to do for me, that's my, that's my step toward salvation. And it really comes with being compassionate with myself. And I've always had the, you know, somewhat, uh, everything you've described, less than, not worthy. I've tricked people into to believing something about me. I, I've, I've pulled the wool over their eyes. And very hard critic on myself. I'll I'll believe the bad, but won't believe the good. And it's amazing in the last few months, just the ability to slow down a little bit and to even start the first steps of being there for myself have paid huge dividends with the relationships around me. And it's really hard, as you say, to to change um, what you think is hardwired and what is the software. But it's the most meaningful thing with moving forward and going forward and, and um, you know, with the things you've learned, are, are there any sort of new avenues of self-care that, you, that you've thought about or or any tricks that you would, that you wish you could, could have told yourself 10, 20 years ago that would be shortcuts to maybe stop self-sabotaging behavior? So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that's happening is my self-care regimen in my personal life is starting to bleed into my work life. And I, I manage a, a, a business um, in finance uh, at, a, at a large end. And one of the things that I'm trying to do in my leadership role that hasn't been uh, a tool in my toolbox to date up until the last couple of years is really around leadership and culture and growing leaders, right? And so that's that's working in and reading uh, Brene Brown and then facilitating a group with a group of people, a conversation about fear and vulnerability and armored leadership, daring leadership. It's, it's reading radical candor and having a conversation with seven or eight you know, rising stars in the organization and talking to them about how to deliver feedback in a rich and vigorous way, right? All the leadership books that I'm reading are really just about teaching you how to build good relationships and good organizations um, using, you know, sort of healthy and, and, and rational methods of, of developing empathy and, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, having clear feedback and being thoughtful and articulate, you know, and frankly, I learned a lot of this um, from the woman that I'm with um, who has made, you know, her career over the past several years, developing high performing teams in education. And so, you know, like, you know, this, it's, it's, it's this full circle sort of vibe where like what you start to learn and, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's the time in life we're in or the age that we're at. But there's this just there's this just convergence where there's who you are and what you do, and for me they're starting to come together in, a, in an altogether healthy way. And so if, I, if 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 there's any tool that I'm working on right now is how to give this away to more people. So like when when you mentioned this, 
for example, this isn't something I would have done five years ago. I'd have told you go fuck yourself. Like, you know, like, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, um, and you didn't even ask, I asked you because five years ago, I wouldn't have done it. And one of the things I've learned is that most of the decisions I made when I was younger were decisions made from, made from a place of fear and on my back foot, not on my front foot. And now I sort of live in a front foot world and that front foot world is, is really about sort of like, what is the life I want to live based on my principles and my values and who is it that I want to be? Not what happens if I decide to be this person, who's going to like me, not like me, is it going to, you know, and, and it's opening doors and, and, and changing the way I approach most things now. And I, you know, I, I went, you know, obviously went through a, a life change a couple of years ago when I got divorced and, and in that process, it, it breaks wide open the opportunity to dig deeper, understand why you were in a relationship that didn't work. What was it about you that made it not work? And how do you mitigate and or improve upon those things in a really meaningful way? You know, what drew me to this is you talked about the idea of home. I mean, since April of 2017, I've lived in one, two, three, four, five. I've had seven addresses. And it does, and like, and, and, and by the way, I'm the happiest I've ever been because home isn't about like cement and metal and wood. It's, it's really sort of like, um, it's, it's about, it's, it's, it's about the, the clarity of your conviction around where you're, where you're going and who you're going to be and who you're going to share that with. And once you sort of just realize that life is really that fucking simple. And there are tools to get there. Um, it becomes a real responsibility to do that because then you get to show up for your kids. You get to show up for your partner, the person you, you know you want to spend your life with. It, it, you show up for the people at work, you know. And in 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 like my value system has changed. The things that I value, the things that matter to me, have fundamentally shifted since I've done this work. And it's it's re, it's, it's a really it's a really remarkable thing to me because I'm I'm so much I'm so much better to be around. My relationships are richer. The people that I come in contact, I have a better relationship with my family. Like it's, it's, it turns out in order to improve all your relationships, you just need to improve yourself. And so I've been really blessed. I've been really lucky that I've had the opportunity to, to, to do the work. It, it, it's awe-inspiring because uh, the first time we met, and I remember it clearly, uh, standing in Tompkins Square dog run that was filled with pit bulls and the energy you were vibrating was scaring all of them off. And there was no doubt that, that you were somewhat staking your territory just by the way you carried yourself at every moment. And I'm, I'm glad that we were still able to hit it off then. But this version of you to see is still has all the, what you would see as the good strengths, but the, the character that is now coming and um you know the one that is the level of virtue and wisdom that maybe wasn't there or if it was was in the background that's just replacing raw energy uh, or maybe working with raw energy is such a potent and incredible combination and um you know i i actually if you would have asked me if I ever thought that you could slow down, I don't know if I would have said you could have. Um, and it's so amazing to see that you've made it your goal now. 
to slow down and to be a, a beacon of light to help others. And I was shocked when you said that you wanted to do this. And when we reached out, it was because of mutual friend and because of probably the timing, or maybe not. Uh, this might be back to the future type situation where either uh, Brian's podcast or yours will come on first. Um, but we, you know, that's what led me to reaching out to you for no reason other than to say hi and thank you so much for introducing me to such a great individual and to go from that to to us sitting down talking this candidly in the speed with which it happened i i never would have imagined it and um i'm so thankful that that you're out there wanting to help and wanting to to lend a helping hand to others and because there are very few people who could ever claim to be as tough as you are and i think it's really hard for people who are tough and do do hang their hat on being tough to show vulnerability. And I mean, with your marathons, and I think you've gotten into Ironmans as well, and your sports background and your fighting background and your South Boston background, I, I think you, you have those um, pelts on the wall, so to speak. And I think you're going to help a lot of people who wouldn't listen to me, who would look at me and say like, you waspy up east side kid. What the fuck do you know? I, you know, you, you don't know. You, you don't know what it's like to be me. And I think that you, you straddle a very, very, very specific line that you're gonna you're gonna help people that others can't get to. And I think that's gonna be a wonderful part of your journey. Um, and I already know it. I can only imagine at work, uh, the how you must be looked up to as an icon because of your work ethic, but now because of your empathy. And, you know, I could, I could just kind of go on and on on this, this slant. And I'm sure that, you know, you, that it, I still wouldn't do you justice with all of it, but, you know, in, in sort of a, a parting summation, if there, if there were any two things or three things you could tell to someone out there who's having, who, who's having trouble with addiction or, or is having trouble with, uh, family relationships or with anything that, 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 you know, just immediate two or three things that you could do or they could do to make a change, what would it be? The first thing is the recognition that, that, you know, you're never, you, you really aren't ever alone and it sounds trite, but um, recognizing the problem and asking for help are the first two things. And the recognizing the problem, you know, being honest with yourself, developing a level of self-awareness and then asking for help. Um, and the help can come in so many different forms. It can be a friend that you talk to. It can be a life coach. It can be a rehab. It can be an AA meeting. It can be, you know, just another friend. Um, but, you know, at, at a fundamental level, you know, I, I, you know, until you get out of your own head, because that's the worst neighborhood you can be in, um, and ask for help, um, you know, you really are, you know, sort of fighting an uphill battle. Um, because there are reason you, there's a reason there there are a lot of reasons why you are the way you are, and everybody's got their past and everybody's got their shit and everybody's got their story, but um, the only person that can change the story is you, right? And the power that you have to live the life you want to live um, is 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 actually sort of like it, it's a crazy crazy thing when you finally realize that you can live the life you want to live. 
because you live want to live the life you want to live. And like most people think they're powerless and most people think, but it's like you take an inventory, you figure out what works, you figure out what is 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 a non-starter, you get rid of the non-starters and you focus on what works and then you keep going. And little by little, brick by brick, life gets better and then it becomes great. And the problem is most people give up before they, they get there or they settle or they get so sort of baked into preconceived constructs of who they who they think they're supposed to be or what they think they should do. Oh, I have to go buy a house in the suburbs and I have to have two kids because that's what that's what the world expects me to do. It's all bullshit. Everything is made up. Everything. Write your own story. You know, like at the end of the day, like all you all you all you have at the end of all of this is a story. And so write the story you want. Not the story everybody thinks you should have. I cannot thank you enough for coming on. It's I actually remember a brunch that we had. I don't even remember how many years ago it was. And the you of that time, literally, we had a conversation about keeping up with the Joneses. And I think both of us were maybe under under the illusion at the time that that was an important aspect of life. I know I was. And um, what I've found from falling on my face five months ago and having things happen that were so painful that if you, that I didn't think I would, I knew I'd survive, but it didn't feel like I would. Um, it was the greatest relief to realize what's important and what's not. And you've done an incredible job of articulating that and, and articulating what actually is kind of the hardest thing or at least for me was which is that we do have the power and it really is down to us um i really have always wanted someone else to swoop in and be the white knight that saves me and so i then tried to do it for everyone else and for and didn't show up for myself the way that i should all the time and that's changed and i've noticed just how dramatic a change it's had in my relationships I'm not always perfect, <laughs> but um, from where I was to where I am now, um, I know I'm on the right path, and I, I see you miles ahead. and And it's it's a goal now to to try to to catch up to you as much as I can. And I and I, and I really appreciate this so much. I know this is going to help anyone who listens to it because your story is unique but at the same time it's not and that's is that human aspect that ties us all together and that's the important thing the takeaway that everyone has their own story everyone has their own shit and it really is down to us and um you know i just for me friendship has been one of the key pillars and and reconnecting with people and realizing that maybe i didn't trick them in to uh to being in my sphere and you being on today and taking the time with your schedule for me personally means a hell of a lot. And, uh, and I really thank you for that. And I look forward to staying in touch and um, you know, you, you, you really are amazing and, and just thank you so much. And I don't know if you're, are there any final parting words? I think you gave some pretty amazing ones, but you know, I really appreciate it. No, I mean, I'm, I'm really grateful for you. You have me, um, get involved here and, and and I think what you're doing um is really is really special and in the same vein of everything we've been talking about which is how do you take sort of 
um, the day to day and craft and shape it into um, the story that you want it to be. And, and, and like, you know, if you take this at a very base level, you're, you're, you're taking real estate transactions and you're turning them into relationships and you're turning those relationships into content that are going to help people. And like, that's a meaningful step function higher. You're going from sort of bare metal all the way up to, you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of the, the higher level and a higher state of being. And so, um, you know, I, I think, I think it's great. And um, I'm grateful for the opportunity to participate. Thank you again, sir. Uh, and I really look forward to staying in better touch and, and, and continuing to watch your journey. And uh, I just I thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, um, you know, I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks a lot. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Creating Home. While we all face this new and uncertain world, I find it inspirational and reassuring to learn of our guests' journeys from around the country, and I hope you do too. Join us next week as we continue to learn what goes into Creating Home.